The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Matthew 6, verse 21. I'm going to start here and then work my way back. Matthew 6, 21. Matthew 6, 21 says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if then the light within you is darkness, wow, how great is that darkness? Um, as some of you who are perceptive enough, you notice I'm, I, I've worn glasses, um, gosh, since high school. There was a period that I stopped wearing them. Uh, I, I don't know if I just got lazy and just didn't. And you know how it is um, when you first take off glasses, when you wear them regularly, uh, you, things, are, well, things are blurry. I mean, that's, I guess, that's obvious. But it's funny what you can get used to. And so when I, uh, when I was dating Lilia and then we got married, her, her dad used to love to go to the racetracks and uh, bet the mortgage payment. And uh, no, he would, uh, he, you know, he would, he'd like to go and go eat dinner there and all that kind of stuff. And so so at Santa Anita, at night, there would be the, the board that would tell you what horses, you know, uh, write the numbers and all that. And it all looked uh, fuzzy, but I just assumed, well, it's far away. Everybody sees it fuzzy. That's why some people are, have binoculars, so they can read it, right? I assumed everybody could not see it. Since I couldn't see it, that must be how reality is. And uh, Lilia's mom, uh, you know, had a pair of glasses and since I have no respect for my elders, I decided to make fun of her by putting on the glasses and, you know, teasing her about it. I put them on, you know, clarity. I go, oh my gosh, this explains all the dead animals uh, as I drive, you know, things I've been hitting and children, you know. And, uh, and, and it's then I realized, you know, because I'm pretty quick, my eyes are bad. Uh, even these glasses, I, uh, for the last several years, my optometrist, and you know, he wears a white coat, so he thinks he's the boss. Uh, you need bifocals, sir. And I said, uh, you're not the boss of me, you know, number one. And you're older, I could probably take you, <laughs> madam. So, um, <laughs> so I have bifocals now, and it's that, it's that weird they're progressives, so you don't see the line, but you still get, you feel, still feel like a drunken sailor on leave because there's that blur, you know? Okay, how am I, how am I looking, by the way? Where is it? <laughs> oh, yes, these were helpful. Thanks, Doc. Um, but, uh, and so, and, and, but, you know, I began thinking about, you know, eyeballs. I remember as a child thinking, how does, you know, this again, this is my child vocabulary, how does meat see? Because I would, you know, you think of an eyeball, it's just flesh or jelly. In fact, I remember when I was in, in, in karate, because I was a vicious monster, you know, it has the consistency of a grape. You know, if you could pop a grape, you can pop an eyeball. Our kid, he used to teach us this, you know, that's an eye. Well, I didn't know they taste good. And so, uh, so it, and it's jelly filled and you have all this eye. So you have this, your eyelid, right, protecting it, it's lubed, and then light hits through the pupil that controls the amount of light goes in, right? Hits the back of the eye lens, and your retina is adjusting it, converts it into an electrical impulse, travels through the optic nerve back to your head to uh, read the impulse for you to see. So on some level, we are actually seeing with our brains, we're not seeing with our eyes. 
And uh, so as I began to think about this particular proof in the scripture, the idea of light proof, it's interesting to think about how our eyes end up being the portal for us to process reality, what you see. In fact, it's even stranger when you think of it in terms of color, like whatever is black here, it really isn't black, it's everything but black. All the other colors are absorbed. That's how we see color. And you know, when you begin to you know, get weird with it, it's a lot more fun to understand how you perceive depth and height and colors and you know, distance and all that kind of thing. So I got glasses to correct my vision. And uh, uh, as I mentioned before, prior to that, I thought everybody saw like I did. That I assumed reality is how I was perceiving it. Which meant that people who could see correctly didn't understand why I didn't see correctly. And I didn't understand how they could see something that, as far as I was concerned, didn't exist. You know, details, colors, pedestrians. There was a number of things that I just didn't understand were out there. Now, as I was thinking about this during the week, I thought, man, this is exactly how we operate in the spiritual realm, isn't it? Um, it's not that, you know, it, it's not that I wasn't, well, yes, I was incapable of seeing to a, to a large degree. And then, of course, some of you know what that's like when you take off your glasses. I guess some of us have vision so poorly that, you know, if you're not wearing them when you wake up in the morning, it is, you know, you're fumbling around like, oh, man, where are they? I need to see. Um, so what if some of the most important things we need to perceive and understand and see, we're incapable of seeing? We, we, we have perhaps maybe the physical, uh, you know, uh, foundation to do it, but it's not tuned well, you know, in, in the process of, of how the information hits us, how it's processed in the back end. That's, what if something breaks down along the way and you cannot see and perceive and understand what is maybe the most important things that we should understand? You'd have to, and here's the other weird part, and how would you know that you don't see? I mean, how do you, I mean, this almost gets a little existential. How do you know that you're, not, that you're not perceiving what, let's say, somebody that has vision perceives easily? The only way you would know is if, A, maybe someone said, hey, do you see this? Can you understand? Or you put on your mother-in-law's glasses and you can compare. Oh, my gosh. I was missing a whole lot of detail before. Now, I want all of us to think back in just for a moment. Because here's, this is going to be part of the light proof that we're going to discuss in First John in a second. How many of us have had employers, parents, coaches, spouses, relationship, pastors, people that would, that would seem to tell us, how, how are you not getting this? How high was the fall when you landed on your head? You know, you feel, it, it almost seems that you're thinking, is everybody crazy or is it me? Because everyone seems to think I'm wrong. Now I can tell you, <laughs> remember the Berkman assessment, the self-esteem thing? Yeah, I thought everybody else was wrong. And some of you do the same thing. Where you assume the majority of people must be wrong because I perceive the world this way. And they don't get what I'm seeing. And the reality is, is that you don't, you're not seeing at all. Now, let's go to 1 John for just a moment. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. Here's what John says. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you 
Here it is, ready? God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. And so if we claim to have fellowship or something in common, we have a connection. If we claim to have fellowship with him but walk in darkness, we lie. We're lying to ourselves. We, we, we don't perceive ourselves correctly. We're not self-aware. We lie and we do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship. We have something in common. We're connected with one another, God and us. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now, if, if you're new to or perhaps um, if you're visiting or you've been from other churches, wherever you're at, here's what this conversation is not about. This is not about I'm right and you're wrong. Okay? This is not about we, Mosaic is right and every other church is wrong. What this conversation is about is am I in an environment that causes my soul to thrive and become healthier? Now, I'll give you a litmus test. This is one of the easiest ones. How well do you get along with everybody else? I, I, I would like to say that some of the ways to measure our spiritual maturity is based on how well we can uh, um, you know, articulate a particular systematic theology. Did you memorize you know, all the books of the Bible in order? Isn't there a nursery Sunday school rhyme? That, dun, 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 you know? okay, I don't even do that. But um, you know, do you know... Because, I mean, because you've met people that know a lot of stuff about church and religion and history and you know, they, know, they know the songs and, and they don't seem to really be likable people. Or ask yourself, what do you leave behind? I once uh, had a chance to, to, uh, to speak at a Biola class and it was about relationships and, I, I, and it, was, it was mostly women so this was, this was much easier. I said, hey, how many of you seem to attract creepy guys? You just, oh, for some reason, creepy guys are always coming up to you. Well, you know, all these hands went up. It's like, oh, man, this is going to be painful. I go, so I go, so what's the most common thing you notice of all these creepy men? You know, and they would say, oh, they're artists. They're emo. They sing. You know, they're unemployed. So they kept going, you know, and I go, oh, yeah. See, actually, all of this is incorrect. I mean, some of it is true. The, 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 the most common theme in all of those relationships is you. Isn't that awful? Thank you. Yeah, you are. <laughs> and I was pelted with rocks and garbage for some reason after that. And heels. Because <laughs> there was two guys in there. So at any rate, um, yuck, yuck. So, uh, and so think about, again, this is just the way to measure this. I mean, spiritual maturity is not how you don't do the naughties, and, and though that's part of it, you know, you're... All the different ways that perhaps by tradition or by habit we've measured it, it to, to in the end, I think it's going to come down to how well your relationships are managed. You know, in, immediate family, your friends, and you know, how those things go. Especially what happens when they go south. Because they're going to go south. Right? This is why churches are messy. You know why churches are messy and funky? Because there's people in them. Right? People are messy and funky. That's why marriages are hard. That's why friendships are hard. It's always easy to, when things are going well to be friends with people that, when things are going well. When they go a little bit off, you know, how do you restore and repair that to, for it to continue? Okay. At any rate, so, 
So here's, here's that, that's, uh, this conversation in, in the scriptures is not about you being wrong and us being right, or we're right and you're wrong, and you need to step up and believe and act and think like us. This is about, let me be honest with myself. When I look at the scriptures, if I'm claiming to be a, a man or a woman connected to God through Jesus Christ, what is the result of that? What must be the end result of that? What should be the thing that pops out of my life? What do I leave behind? How do I respond? Verses six through seven. Well, one thing, I'm honest about my connection with God in verses six through seven. I'm honest about my my limitations in comparison to God, verse eight. I'm honest about my condition in the presence of God in verse 10. You know, um, when I was younger, uh, I don't know, I was in my 20s. Okay, I'll say it. Has it been four years already? And um, I remember that I loved my home, uh, my parents' home, lived on Malabar Street in Huntington Park. I loved my home in the early morning and late dusk because there was something about the soft lighting and the, the, the low light that made the house look prettier to me somehow, look warmer, you know, because it was more of a house of horror sometimes. But there was a, and, but I feel the same way about my house now, that there's something about low lighting that makes the place look better. Yeah, you know, because I'm going to right, black velvet curtains, I close it off, dark, dark. And uh, so I'm not a big light person. And uh, in terms of, you know, scenery and lighting. And yet, I also know that if you want to see the details, right, what, what do you do when you want to see, like, do, you know, how many craters do I have to have to fill in with the spackle or whatever? Um, you, you, you pull up the lamp, right, the light, and you get in close, and you're like, oh my gosh, wow, that's horrible. Or if your house is kind of dimly lit, you know, and someone comes in and opens all the curtains for some reason, you go, wow, this place is dusty. I didn't realize there was so much filth. Is that dust ball moving? Wow, that thing growled at me that I came by it, you know? And it starts to get its own level of consciousness. That's how long it's been there. Same thing with, with uh, you know, how many of us have gone to the dentist? You know, of your own volition. And, uh, you know, I, w- give, give me some light here. I need light, right? And they put that, you know, in, you know all, because they need to see what's wrong. Surgery, dentist, you follow? Right? One thing funny to me about also the dentist, how many times you ever told, don't put things in your mouth? Don't put nothing sharp in there, right? And they wheel that tray of torture implements over and, you know, they're, they're scraping it. Is that a crowbar? Yes, it is, you know. More anesthesia nurses, patients resisting, you know, and then they're cameo, right? So light really is necessary to see accurately. Even if we don't want to see it. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 8, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard, yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Have you ever uh, been that person where you're looking for, a, I don't know, could be a pen or coin or something and it's in the car underneath and you, I wish I had a flashlight here. Turn the light, I can't see. How about when you wake up in the middle of the night and you, you go into the restroom or the kitchen? Because that's, for some reason, those two urges are always, you know, it's one of the two when you wake up in the, in the middle of the night. 
I think this morning I got up to make a peanut butter, peanut butter jelly sandwich and milk. And, and uh, you know that strange moment when you want to be in darkness because if you turn on the light, it's going to bring you into a new reality? Like it'll, you'll wake up. No, no, don't turn the light on. Don't turn the light on. I want to pretend I'm still asleep. But some of us, I think, intuitively, unconsciously think, don't turn the light on. I want to be in my darkness still. We're pretending not to know that something's off. We're pretending that if long as I still deny the light, I'm not responsible for reality and truth. Um, you can walk along, and here's the difference. You, 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 could, you could walk, this walking in darkness concept, I guess to break it down in a very simple sense. It would be the man or the woman who, in a spiritual sense, has, has maybe not exposed themselves to God's light, conscious or unconsciously. And so your actions are probably not going to be in line with reality and true truth. It, I just don't see how that's possible. If, if you use the physical metaphor that I pointed out, if you, if you shut off lights in an unfamiliar place and you're asked to navigate through let's say a building or a room or a home that you don't know well, how much easier would it be if someone just turned the lights on? And in many cases, that's the very thing that we resist. Now, actual, as the scripture describes sin and, or darkness or unhealthy actions, those are gonna be the events and the incidents that come out of, quote, walk in in darkness, mistakes. Things in low light, in darkness, are going to feel different. You're going to perceive them different. You're going to describe them different than what they perhaps really are. Why? Because you can't see them. This is not a matter of being bad or wrong. This is saying, I, I can't really see what is true or maybe the most important thing I should know. The, the reality is, is that folks who make a focused commitment to follow Jesus Christ are still going to quote sin, as the scripture describes it. You'll still make mistakes. You'll still have unhealthy choices. It's a little different. I mean, that, that, that's, that, that is a result of perhaps of either refusing or maybe a darkness in a certain area of your life you're not aware of yet. <clears throat> but, but a man or a woman who you know, a man or a woman who has just never experienced that to begin with, it, I don't see how they're going to produce anything else but things that are going to be unhealthy and dark. Why? Well, you're walking in darkness. Does that help? Does that make sense? Like someone's going to say no. You know, okay, yeah, I'll do it over again. So lighting is everything. I mean, light is, is, is everything. I mean, you, you know that from biology classes. It's needed to live. You want to drive... I was reading an article just uh, recently on um, some psychology site thing about uh, the solitary confinement and low light, uh, that it's now being challenged in, in some states as a cruel and unusual punishment because it drives people into insanity. Inmates. So a lot of the prison guards use it to control unruly prisoners, but the end result is, is men and women who are going insane. In fact, in, in some of the early prison systems, uh, well-meaning 
uh, gosh, what church was this that ran this prison system and let's forget what state it was, but the idea was like, oh, well, you know, let's, let's bring these criminals murder into, you know, dark, quiet rooms so they can meditate and become good spiritual people. They all went crazy. <laughs> okay, this is not working. Light is everything. We, we, we grow in it, we thrive in it, plants do. And, and the, this, the analogy or the metaphor for our spirits is no different. And depending on the kind of lighting we have, it will, you, you perceive differently. How many of you buy bulbs that are the ones that, I love the bulbs that are reveal from GE, right? Because it's the true light. Seems warmer. Because isn't fluorescent light the most god-awful, horrible light? You look like, you know, you're dead. Am I that green? Yes. Yes, you are. Now this actually has less, um, less of a talk for me and more of a questions, all right? So, so here's, a, here's, a, here's a couple. We're looking at this life proof because this, this is the whole theme of the first John, proof of life. Am I actually alive? Where it matters in the most, in the most vital, critical way, am I alive spiritually and in line with light? I mean, you've heard it said before, we've said it here, it, it, other, maybe other settings, that we are primarily spiritual beings having a physical experience. Correct? Now, if that's true, and I'm willing to concede maybe it isn't, but if that's true, then that means that it is my spirit, that immaterial part of me that I sometimes really can't get a hold of, that is most critical for me to be alive at and in line with truth or reality. Now, I'm not even willing to concede that, okay, let's say this is not true. So let's measure this. Then how would, I, how would I know that I'm alive and walking in light? What would be the result of a person who's really alive and walking in a healthy manner? There might be some people you come, come to mind. I'm going to suggest this, and, you know, I'm, I'm a Jesus person, so that should be <clears throat> fairly obvious is if you look at the life of Jesus, strip away all the idea of Christianity and churches and religion, if you look at his life, is there anything about his life that is unappealing? Is there any characteristic that we admire that it doesn't find its nirvana in the life of Jesus? Agitating against injustice, generosity, Service to humanity, uh, kindness, um, relational restorer, uh, a healer, uh, you know, good moral teacher. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to concede that he maybe isn't the son of God, but if he isn't, then you still have a pretty good solid model of someone who lives a very healthy life. Let me slip back into my belief mode. I'm convinced that Jesus is the divine son of God that brings light to humanity. And that everybody who focuses and makes a commitment to him and chooses to imitate his lifestyle and practice his teachings will experience that light as well. And then what he asks us as his followers is to say, now I want you to duplicate this, become little Christs or Christians, and help, help me restore humanity. Because everybody thinks they know what's going on, but we're walking in darkness. So as I said earlier last week, 
that Jesus didn't come to make Christians, he came to restore humanity, this is what I'm speaking of. And John you know, is, is asking us, here are some proofs so that you can know if you are walking in light. All right, let me close with this few questions. Are, are you a man or a woman who's walking in darkness? Um, when you look back at the landscape of your life, is there, I mean, what, what's back there? Is it a mess of, from relationships to careers to just some choices? I mean, because no matter who you blame that on, like I said to that room full of young women, the, the, the only consistent theme in all of those stories is you. What are you, what are you leaving behind? Uh, think of it as a, a boat moving through water. You know, the, it, it cuts, through, uh, cuts through water. I was pretty redundant. But the back of it is known as a wake, correct? Okay. What's your wake? What do you leave behind? What effect do you have on people? What effect do you have on rooms and situations and groups? I, I, there was this uh, little thing I used to have at my desk that everybody brings joy in this world. Somebody, I, well, actually, it was a little more cynical. I said, everybody, everybody brings joy to me. Some by leaving this world, some by entering. You know? You follow? Are you the person that people are glad when you leave? You're just that guy, you know, just that, you're just that woman, like, you know, man, we love Octavia, but gosh, it's so nice when he's gone. You know people like that, don't you? I like, I like Larry, man, I'm, I'm just so glad when he's not around. Am I walking in darkness? Because see, Jesus is, is the truth that could help, not help, Jesus is a truth that could be an anchor for you to know what to believe in. Are you a person that maybe there's an area of your life that needs illumination? You know, you, you have been that man or the woman who has stepped into a new reality with God through Jesus Christ. But now you're beginning to see that, you know, I'm, I feel like there's this lead weight or an anchor I'm dragging that I, I'm, I can't, I'm stuck in this thing that I do over and over again. In that sense, you know, there's an area that needs illumination that, that Jesus is the hope and the power and the ability to help you become the man or the woman that, that you're meant to be. Are you in a group, and, and by the way, I'm not asking like I've arrived at this because this is the thing I had to process all week, okay? So I'm not speaking like, oh yeah, uh, I'm not waving my finger you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna holster that. I'm not waving my finger, at, you know, and, and say, this is what you ought to be doing. You know, <clears throat> I'm processing it just like you are. So here's the last one I had to process and think about myself. Am I in a group, a tribe, a community of friends or people, apart from here, a group that knows me, loves me, prays with me, argues the scriptures with me, that's healthy. The group is healthy. See, environment is everything. It, you know, if, 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 you, if you live in a place that's sick and twisted and toxic, you know, you, you're probably not going to thrive, correct? How many of you notice? Well, I'll give you this example. You remember when some of you who used to really party, you know, you used to get wasted, trashed, faced. And then you stop. Maybe you go to a step meeting. Maybe you take some anti-abuse medication. Uh, maybe you were put in submission. You had to go to a place and sober up. Then you go back to your friends who are still high. And you go, ugh, was I that stupid? Yes. It's just that you were high with them. 
and they were interesting. <clears throat> okay, so now when you step out of the group that's unhealthy and you're, in, you're trying to be healthy, are you in a group that's healthy? Where the environment is such that everyone's sort of on the same page, they're different, they're not, we're not talking about a homogenous, we all vote the same way, we all dress the same way. They are cut from different cloths and fabrics and walks of life, but the underlying principle that guides them is that uh, Jesus is the divine son of God who's given me life and light. In that sense, Jesus becomes uh, the way and provides a place for us to belong. Proof of life, the light test. Am I walking in darkness? Is an area that needs illumination? Am I part of a healthy community? Let me close in prayer with you. Father, thank you for restoring, in many cases, uh, sanity and sobriety and health and uh, being the God that heals our souls by your light. It, it seems to burn away that which is just dead and damaged. And then because you are God, you resurrect what was once lost and make it beautiful. What I pray, Father, is for men and women who are here that perhaps are sensing they might have lost or wasted a few years, that you are a God of hope and restoration, that you bring back to life those things that seem to be gone and lost. So for marriages, for relationships, for years lost just in darkness, I thank you that you're a God of hope. What I pray for my friends here and for myself is that we'll be messengers of that. Um, walking billboards for people who are looking for you and don't know if you're there. That you'll help us to be those models, guides to you. That they will experience but we have been given so freely, your love. Thank you for this proof test of light. Help us to be honest with ourselves and examine ourselves against the scriptures. Not just to read them, but allow the scriptures to read us. So that we may be good representatives, accurate representatives of you. In your son's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.